there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Hey all, scripture reading tonight is in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 7 and 8, and then also 28 and 35. Starting in verse 7, it says, I wish that all were as myself, all as I am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to remain single as I am. Then jumping to verse 28, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The first appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they have none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who are rejoicing as though they were not rejoicing, and those who would buy as though they would not have goods, and those who would deal with the world as though they have no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, y'all, tonight we are diving into our three-week relationship series that we bring back Every two years, uh, and as we over the course of uh, tonight and these next two weeks, we're going to be looking at singleness, we're going to be looking at dating, and then we're going to be looking together at marriage. And you know, the thing about it is, with relationships, they can oftentimes be insanely awkward, right? Uh, but the thing about it is, they don't have to be, hence the strike through on the graphic that looks like bubblegum, right? It's awesome. But as we go through these seasons, as we go through these stages, there's bound to be awkward. It's kind of like a lot like a middle school dance. Anybody remember those? Mercy, y'all. I have successfully repressed most of those memories. And like, I don't know, there was a time when I was in sixth grade, first year middle school, first time that there was like a school dance. And I had been friend zoned enough to last me like halfway through junior high. And so I was not intending on going to said sixth grade dance. But I go home and, you know, I get the phone call on the landline, right? Because I didn't have my Nokia brick phone yet because I'm old. And I'm going through and then one of my buddies calls and says, hey, so actually we are going to go to the dance as like a group. As a group of guys going to a dance. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Okay, cool. And I hang up the phone and I legit have this first thought. I have nothing to wear. Like I'm just, I'm going through it and I'm like, but in my mind, I know what's cool. I I go knock on my mom's door. I said, mom, I'm going to the dance. But the thing about it is I have got to have this one article of clothing that's going to make or break my time at this dance. Mom, I really need some baggy cargo pants. This is a safe place, y'all, okay? (laughs) 
See, now this was pulled from a BuzzFeed article, top 34 cringiest things men wore in the early 2000s. And <laughs> this was number four on the list, too big, too bulky, too many pockets and way too dated looking. And so my mom, who was just excited I was going and being social, said, we will go get you those cargo pants, Blake. And so we go to Goodies in the strip mall. And we go to goodies and she's like chucking cargo pants up over the dressing room slats. And just, I'm trying on, no, not right, mm, too big. Oh, not big enough. And we're just trying to find the right pair of cargo pants. And finally I find them like Cinderella slipper and we are getting ready to go. And she takes me to the middle school dance. And it was every bit as awkward as you could anticipate. I mean, y'all have seen the movies, right? Or you've experienced it yourself. You go in and what happens? <laughs> I mean, sometimes it even happens at church stuff. <laughs> all the guys over here, all the girls over here, that we're just polarized, like opposite ends of the spectrum. And as we're going over here, you know, maybe there would be the occasional, like we're all going to get in a big group and dance together. Or maybe then, oh, somebody's going to get that couple that does way too much PDA anyways. And they've been together for forever. And so they're going to go out there. They're going to do the slow dance. And everybody else backs away. Or you've been at the wedding, right? Everybody's having a good time out there dancing to Don't Stop Believing. And then I Will Always Love You comes on and the mass exodus from the dance floor, right? <laughs> and then Single Ladies comes on. Everybody goes back out. It's a great time. But we have these, like, the idea of everybody being separated but then pulling back together. That There's just a lot of awkwardness as you navigate through the different seasons, and then maybe for some of you, you're like, hey, I'm just so totally content to go stand by the bleachers. But for some of you, you're by the bleachers and you just so want to be with someone and to have that kind of relationship. You are filled with that longing for that connection. But it doesn't seem to be happening. You see, singleness gets a bad rap in this day and age. And I'll go ahead and say this. Singleness gets a bad rap in the church. That there are a lot of times that with the way certain things are set up and the way certain people talk about singleness, it's like that the society doesn't know what to do with you until you're married or the church doesn't know what to do with you until you're married or that we view single people as just pre-married people. But what I'm hoping will happen as we come to God's word tonight and as we consider the reality that is there and we allow it to shape us that we will be able to biblically see singleness for what it is. And if you leave here with nothing else, I want you to leave with this, that singleness is a gift. That singleness is a gift. That where some might see that singleness is a curse or a sickness or a problem that needs to be fixed, biblically speaking, it is categorized as a gift. And as we come together and we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that Austin already read for us tonight, that when we see this gift, I mean, we have a gift-giving God. Like this, in Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, if you, talking about us, like if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? He's saying, God the Father, he's a good father who gives people good gifts. Or that we're able to see at other places in Scripture, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the spirit, we are given spiritual gifts. 
or 1 Peter 4, that he gives us the gift of eternal life. He is a gift-giving God, and these gifts can span lots of different seasons and a lot of different pasts and are entirely dependent upon him and how he chooses to providentially give those things to us. We have a gift-giving God in the gifts. He gives two gifts to people in addition to these other things, the gift of salvation, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and gifts for being able to serve and build up the church. He gives the gifts of singleness, and he gives the gift of marriage. And as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're able to see that Paul says, I wish that all were as I myself am. And he's talking in the context right there about being single. The Apostle Paul never married. He's going right here. He said, I wish that everyone was like I am, but each has his own gift from God. Not own relationship status, not own classification, not own thing that you can get your worth all wrapped up in, but a gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And so this, is, this is crucial to understand because often singleness is defined by what is not there. That we sometimes think that it's not being married, but we don't talk about married people as being non-single people. That we don't want to just view it as something that it's not. We don't want to frame it from the negative, but when we frame our understanding in this gift in the negative, we do a disservice to God and we set ourselves up for feelings of despair or for disproportionate longing. We can think that God is absent. We can think that he is holding out on us. We can think that God is punishing us because we're not in a relationship. And y'all, this is just heightened all the time. It's just turned up to 10. Because y'all, if, if you're a young adult in the room and you're single, I mean, you probably know what it's like to have that well-meaning but misguided parent or grandparent. Like every time that you talk on the phone or every time that you go home for the holidays. Yeah, so when you gonna start dating somebody, you know? Sorry, that was Jim Gaffigan. But it, it, we're going to like is you have, like they ask these questions over and over. Or when are you going to start getting more serious with so-and-so? Or, oh, when are you going to start doing this? Or when are you going to start doing that? And you feel this in an acute way. And you feel this pressure or that you are somehow less than or that you are deficient in something. That you're missing out. And so rather than embracing the gift that God has given you in this current season, you try to grab for a gift. You try to go, you try to reach, and in doing so, maybe you drop standards. Maybe you start to go places you would never expect to go with another person. Or maybe you're starting to get a sense that the relationship is at an unhealthy place and you need to get out, but you're worried that there might not be another opportunity or maybe this is as good as it gets. You see, singleness is not a problem that needs to be fixed. Singleness is a gift that needs to be embraced. I love the way that Paige Brown, she's a Bible teacher up in Nashville, the way that she puts it, you're able to see it on the screen. She said, I'm not single because I am too spiritually unstable to deserve a husband or too spiritually mature to need one. I'm single because God is good and that is his best for me.
You see, this view of singleness demonstrates trust in God who knows and brings to pass what is best for us. That this view of singleness is seen as a gift given by a good God. And it might not be what we expect. It might not be what we want. But it is what God in his providence has given to all of us for a season and for some for a prolonged season. Singleness is a gift. It might not be what you expect, but it's a good gift from a loving father. You know, growing up, I played baseball, loved playing baseball. It was a good time on the little league field, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, like any young guy on the baseball field, like I wanted to be the one to hit the homer. You know, you want to hit the home run. You want to be able to get that ball. You want to demonstrate your power in front of everybody and be able to launch the ball over the fence and have everybody cheer and surround you, rally at home plate. And, you know, I was a bigger kid. And so, I mean, I was just got so close so many times. Like I would fly out to deep left. I would hit a ground roll double. My goodness, it doesn't count. And so I'm going through and I just wanted to be the guy that hit the home run. And I'm a gearhead. I love gear. I mean, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I want the best gear. And so I was going through, and that being baseball was baseball bats. And I had a, yeah, Russell, you know what I'm talking about. And so I had a TPX Omaha Gold. And for some of you, that means absolutely nothing. But it was like the standard in that day. And it was so wonderful. It was, and the thing about what everybody on the team wanted to use this bat. It was incredible. Everybody used the bat. And the thing about these aluminum bats is the more people use them, the more quickly the bats lose their pop. And so you can't retrieve the pop. And so you got to go get a new bat so you have the pop. And so I got to go to my favorite place, Romeo Sporting Goods in Crestwood. And so as I was getting ready to go to Romeo Sports, I knew exactly what I needed. I walked in the front jingle jingle door of Romeo Sports. And I go over to the TPX Omaha Gold section. I get my width, uh, my length. I get my weight. Bat, I pop it off the shelf. And I'm like, one TPX Omaha Gold, please. And I turn around. And my dad has the audacity to have a skinny barrel Easton Connection that is neon orange. And like, if you're hanging around me any length of time, I do not like orange, okay? Sorry, Knoxville folks. You know, but it's one of those things that as we're going through, I was like, what is that, Dad? Quick, put it up before somebody sees us. Like, we cannot be seen with that bat. And then Dad said, Blake, I know that you think that you need a big barrel bat and that you need what you've had. But what you can't comprehend right now that, you need bat speed. It's just taking you too long to be able to get that bat around. You need something that you can get around quicker. I said, but Dad, it's the TPX Omaha Gold. Come on. He said, we're going to get the Easton Connection. And you know, he who holds the money makes the decisions. And I walked out of Romeo Sporting Goods that day with an Easton Connection, skinny barrel, neon orange baseball bat. And the very next week, I hit my first and only home run. And I, I don't tell you that in a sense of like, you know, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can hit a home run for Jesus, you know, like that is not at all what I'm saying. What I am saying is in that moment, I was coming to my father with what I thought I knew I needed. But my father knowing more and my father demonstrating care for me 
was willing to disappoint me in the moment so that I could then do what I so longed for. Could it be that you, in a season of singleness, that the Father, who loves you infinitely more than any earthly father could, is in the process of giving you something not that you want or expect, but something that is good for you and something that can set you up so that you can do what it was that you were intended to do? Because I'm here to tell you, life is more than being a husband or a wife. Life is more than being a mom or a dad. That God has so gifted every one of us a season of singleness that we might serve him with full-hearted devotion. And so as we're going through and as we're looking at this, there are some aspects of this gift that we need to fully appreciate. And so we're going to be looking at three advantages of singleness, okay? Advantage number one, you avoid certain earthly troubles, worldly troubles. This is what God's word says in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 28. But if you do married, you haven't sinned. This is coming after Paul has already said, I wish that everybody was like me, that they remained single. And so people would say that, like, oh gosh, I have messed up. I have made a huge mistake. Or I, need, or I, do, I have this desire. What do I do with that? No. But he says this, if you do marry, you've not sinned. If a betrothed woman marries, she's not sinned. Yet, I want you to know this. Those who marry, they will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time, it's grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. It's not a sin to marry. But what these verses essentially mean is this, that the time is short and that we should live accordingly. Because you see, what's happening right here, that Paul, he is not saying, oh, you're married, pretend like your wife isn't there. Never buy anything else again. That is not at all what he's saying. Especially if you're looking in the context of the rest of 1 Corinthians, so much of what he's talking about is how you live in the everydayness of this world in a way that honors the Lord. But what he's saying is, is that we now knowing what we know, live differently in this world. This is not all that there is. There is more. And so we live and we act accordingly. We know that this world is passing away and it's not a sin to marry. But the first advantage to remaining single is that it enables you to be more agile and to live more focused here in this short time. Helps you to be more quickly responsive you know, others have talked about before how when you're in a season of singleness, there is less for you to have to coordinate in order to be able to meet the need of somebody that's in front of you or a need that you hear about. Like I still remember when we were in Tuscaloosa, I was talking about the uh, 2011 uh, tornadoes a little bit earlier before the service. And, you know, just the number of people that flooded Tuscaloosa coming to help afterwards. And the majority of the people that came and that helped in that church were young single people. People that had the margin, had the flexibility, and that could pick up and go and be able to meet needs right where they were at. That for married people and married people, it's not just so that you can be over in a little love cocoon and be just so happy and enthralled with one another that usually that marriages, you have kids. 
And that there are so many layers of complexity, let me tell you, of all of the things that you have to coordinate for you to be able to. It's like any time that you go on a vacation, you feel like you're moving. My goodness. And so it's one of the, you get the U-Haul, like that, seriously, that, so that we can go on this trip. But when you can pack a duffel, throw it in the back seat, and jet, that you are a lot more agile and you're able to live more focused here in this time. That this is one of the first advantages that we have in single, to avoid certain worldly troubles. But this is advantage number two. Freedom from certain anxieties. Freedom from certain anxieties. This is what Paul says in verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife and his interests are divided. The unmarried or the betrothed woman, she's anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman, she's anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. So right here, the Apostle Paul, he's talking about two interests that divide pleasing the Lord and pleasing your spouse. And if you become married, there are some things that you have to adjust to and you have to get used to. And some ways that you will be changed based on what pleases the other person and on what they value. I had to learn this real quick. As we were going through, I had to become more aware of my cleanliness level. I had just become accustomed to a certain level of filth living in a house with four other guys. And I had to become accustomed to the fact that pillows can have other functions than just putting your head on them at night and that they are all not so comfortable, right? That there's such a thing as a decorative pillow and that certain things match. Like, you're getting there, David. Don't worry. It's going through. And you're having to learn about certain things. And Becca had to learn certain things about me that I can be pretty particular about certain things and I'm a man of routine. And as I go through, and if I have a little part, yes, yeah, some of my team in here is also kind of biting their lips right now because they know how much that is true. And that if one little thing is thrown off, then it takes me a lot to get me back on track. That we, in thinking about when you bring two sinful people in such close proximity, there is the potential for a lot of life and a lot of encouragement and a lot of love but there's also a potential for a lot of hurt and for a lot of really sharp conflict. And so what Paul's saying right here, that an advantage of singleness is that you are freed from certain worldly anxieties. And one of those is the divided interests of figuring out how to please the Lord and also pleasing your spouse. And so as we're going through and as we look at this, it's hard. I mean, it produces some anxieties and it gives us joys. And, y'all, I would do anything for Becca. I would do anything for my boys. But as we're looking here, as we look at this picture, sometimes we in the church, we can paint a glamorous picture of marriage and talk about it in such a way that it is so far removed from reality that we can actually play into people putting marriage on a pedestal or making it into an idol that a lot of times what we can do is, depending on the stage that we're in, we can compare what I've heard people call 
to prepare the ups or the downs of that season to the ups or the downs of another season. That if you're in a season of singleness, that you might be comparing the downs of your loneliness, of what feels like so much free time, a lack of affection or connection, to the ups of seeing, oh, they're over here going on this really cool vacation or going here on this really cool trip, or they did that Instagram post in front of that concert venue uh, that they were able to go to out of town together and do this. And so that we compare the lows of one season to the ups of another season. Or for some of you, if you're married, you might be thinking about you're in the lows, you're in the pits of conflict and sin and how that directly affects another person. And then you look over at your single friends and you see the unencumbered nature, the flexibility, the autonomy that they're able to have. And you, so you start to compare and you might not be there, but y'all, you might be there someday. And I would want to guard you against comparing the lows of whatever season you're in into the ups of another one. Either that you're fantasizing about or that you're trying to remember or recover. And as you're going through, we don't need to put marriage up on a pedestal. We need to see it for the gift that it is, but we also need to see singleness for the gift that it is. And as we look at this advantage of singleness, we don't want to simply see it from the negative. Paul doesn't just say this. This is the third advantage. Singleness is not just being freed from something, but it is being freed up for something. So this is not the third advantage, it's the end of the second. We're not just freed from something, but we are freed up for something. Not focusing on how to please the spouse, but how to please God. To be anxious about how to please Him. And so if you are in this room and you are not married, biblically you are in the category of being single. Now, if you came here with a significant other tonight, it's okay, right? You're dating, you're in a relationship, that's fine. But biblically, you are still single. We'll talk a little bit about this next week. There are none of these pseudo-covenantal categories between singleness and marriage. You are either single or you are married. And for all of us, the Lord has gifted all of us a season of singleness. And so a marker that we can see from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to know, am I doing singleness right It's, am I being anxious about doing the things that are pleasing to the Lord? That is how you can flourish well in your singleness. Being anxious about pleasing the Lord. If not, you are doing singleness wrong. And so Paul, he moves to a charge at the end of 1 Corinthians 7. And this is where we see the third advantage of singleness. Advantage three, undivided devotion to the Lord. He says it right here in verse 35. I say all this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order, and here it is, to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul says, I've been telling y'all this, not to lay any restraint, literally not to put a noose around your neck but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Singleness is a gift of a season of undivided devotion of the Lord. But I mean, how do you pursue undivided devotion to the Lord? How do you do this to the glory of God? 
Well, it's the fundamentals. It is going back to something that is very basic, that you pay attention to what he says. You read the Bible. That as you're going through it, as you are trying to be with the Lord, you want to hear. It's like, what does any relationship need to flourish? Communication. You need to hear from the other and you need to be able to speak. We hear from God in his word and we speak to him through prayer. That we pay attention to what he says. We pay attention to what he calls us to do. That we are to repent and to believe, to spend time with him individually in your own time with the Lord, but not just alone, me and Jesus in the woods, but together, corporately, as we are calling out to God together, that we are being formed and shaped in ways that we could not anticipate. And then we serve brothers and sisters. We serve those outside the church. We get in the war. We go and we preach the gospel. We are active in serving. We are helping to build others up. Because y'all, I will tell you, and I know it doesn't feel that way right, this way right now, but you most likely will never have more liquid time in your life than you do right now. I say that and some of you are like, oh crap. <laughs> it's, for most of you, I mean, it's just the truth. Your capacities will increase. You will get the school, or if you're out of school and you're in the working world, you will get those rhythms down. You will become stronger, more proficient, more efficient in those kinds of things. But you will probably not have more liquid time or flexibility than you will in your season of singleness while you're in school or you're in your 20s while you're working. And so you're going to have to think, how can I use this gift that God has given me? Not just to pursue how to make as much money as possible. Not just to climb the corporate ladder in this particular job. Not just aim for the prestige or for the recognition or for the cumulative like count. But for me to be able to serve and build up other people. To love and encourage, and to be present as an active member in the family of God. That you can use this season of singleness. And married people, they're not exempt from these things. They're still called to be devoted to the Lord. But it takes more to get somewhere to do something. And I think that Ben Stewart, I mean, y'all have probably, some of y'all are probably familiar. He wrote a book called Single, Dating, Engaged, Married, I see it at the top of the bookstall over there. Shameless plug, right? And don't worry, we lose a ton of money on every book. But it's okay. Don't go flipping tables or anything like that. I've had that conversation before. And as we're going through, sorry, too much. Uh, as we're going through, Ben Stewart, he writes this book. And as he's saying this in his chapter on singleness, I think he captures it so well. That God has ordained a season of singleness for every human being on the planet. Singleness does not simply exist as an extended adolescence, a pursuit of career ambition, or for a preparatory phase for marriage. Rather, God has ordained the unique freedoms of single life, not for distractions or ambitions, but for devotion to Him. You see, when singleness is viewed 
through this biblical framework, when we have a gospel understanding of singleness, we realize the countercultural, and this is not an exaggeration, world-changing truth that the Lord of all creation wants a relationship with you. And not a romantic relationship. Not, you're not dating Jesus, okay? But he wants something deeper. He wants something truer. He wants covenant making, covenant keeping, keeping always staying, ever faithful kind of love. It is not fickle or fragile. It has got staying power. And this is the truth of the gospel. That the Lord has done something for you that you could not do for yourself. Lived a righteous life. Not a good life. Not a life that you had more good than outweighed the bad. A perfectly righteous, holy life. He lived that in your place. And they killed him. And in that death, He took the punishment. He took the death that you and I deserved so that we could be brought back to the Father and so that there could be this great exchange that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God and that this can be the most fundamental thing about you Not your relationship status. Not whether or not you got a rock on your finger. Not whether or not how long you've been married or where you live or how many kids you got or where they're in school or what kind of car you drive or what kind of clothes are on your back. But the most fundamental, foundational thing about you is that the one who created you has redeemed you. That though we were far off, He came to us and brought us back. We were rebels to his will, as we sang earlier. And if we hadn't, if he had not loved us first, we would refuse him still. But he loved us first and has drawn us back. And when we realize this, it makes it all the easier to pursue him with undivided devotion. And that we can realize that singleness is a gift. That singleness, we can find satisfaction and fulfillment if we're looking for it in another person. We're not looking for a relationship. We're not calling it, but what we're looking for is an idol when we find that delight in the Lord, we are content. Oh, that's a word that we need to associate with singleness. A contentedness with the gifts that God has. It might not be one that you want. It might not be one that you think that you need. But if you trust God in his goodness and his providence, then we can be content with whatever gift that the Lord has given us. But I know through conversations, I know through prayer requests, I know through doing college ministry for 10 plus years now, that 
some of you were like me and so deeply desired to be married. And so what, you're like, Blake, that's, I, I think the Lord's working on me. I think I'm going to be able to view this. I'm not quite there yet. Pray for me. But like, what do I do with this desire? It's like, I, I want to be in a relationship. Like, I want to be married, but it, nothing seems like it's happening. What, what do I do? I would tell you this. You do anything like with any unfulfilled desire. What do you do with an unfulfilled desire? And so I, I, I try to distill down three principles for you that are transferable. They're directly applicable to the situation, but could be spun out to any sort of unfulfilled desire maybe that you feel like you're having. The first one is this. Don't hope for what God has not promised. Don't hope for what God has not promised. I I, I want to say this with as much tenderness and compassion and love that I can communicate both verbally and non-verbally. The Lord has not promised that you will be married. We're going to be singing a song in just a few minutes called Sovereign Over Us. And where it says your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. Faithful forever, perfecting love. You are sovereign over us. And what I want to guard you against is importing your wish list into that your plans are still to prosper. I think a lot of times our frustration and our anger and our doubt towards God comes because we hold him to promises that he never made. And so I would encourage you, hope on things that God has promised. Put your hope in the things that God's word has revealed to us that he will do. Put your hope in the resurrection of the dead. That you, though you will die someday if the Lord does not come back first and your body is planted like a seed in the ground, that you will get up out of it again. Hang your hope on that. Not finding a husband or a wife. So hope. Don't hope for what God has not promised. And the second thing is this. Tell your father. I would bring it to the Lord in prayer. If you desire, if you long to be married, tell the Lord. But I would want to guard you against this. Don't use all of your singleness yearning for a different stage. Because when we see these things as a gift, we see that there is purpose, there is meaning, there is usefulness that God would have for us in this particular season. And if we are just long, trying to long, we are longing our way out of it, or we are wishing or fantasizing our way out of it, or we are reaching or grasping or clutching or clawing or trying to get our way out of it, that is, we're doing so. We're not honoring to the Lord in that season. So I'd encourage you, bring it before the Lord. Bring it to Him in prayer. But don't let it dominate all in every prayer, all in every journal, all in every conversation. And the last thing would be this. Let that longing draw you closer to Jesus. 
So take that unfulfilled desire and rather than looking at other means of satisfying it and rather than expecting another person to fulfill it, use it the way that it was meant to be used. Give it to Jesus. You do that in prayer. God, I'm, I'm not going to hope on something you haven't promised. I don't know what your plans are for me in this regard, but I do hope in what I know that you are God, that you are good, that I can trust you, and that you want what is best for me. I realize we might have different definitions of that, but God, I trust you. I am gonna bring before you, this is my desire. I, I long to be married. I long to be in a loving, committed relationship with a man or with a woman. I want to be able to do this. And God, I'm going to pursue you. I'm not going to try to get out of this season prematurely. I'm not going to try to reach for any sort of counterfeit. But God, I'm going to take this longing that I feel right now, and I'm just going to use it to draw me closer to Jesus. Because I know, I mean, my heart, it's going to be looking for all these other places, and it's going to be restless. As other church fathers have said, our hearts are restless until they find their true rest in you. So you can do this with any unfulfilled desire because I know that there are a lot of you that long to be married. You're like, well, what do I do now? Don't hope for things that God hasn't promised. Tell your father in prayer and allow that longing to bring you closer to Jesus. So you see, singleness, it's not a problem to be fixed. It's not something It might not be something that you want right now, but it will give you certain advantages in following him and being on mission for him here in this world in this season. Singleness isn't a problem. It's a gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would would help us to see things the way that you see them. And God, that we would be able to see singleness the way that you see it. God, as a gift with certain advantages that we can use to be able to glorify you and to serve others. God, would you protect us from trying to find our worth, our value, our dignity in any other person? But God, would you draw us again and again back to Christ? Jesus, you transform the way that we we don't have to buy into the cultural narratives. God, but we can see singleness as a gift. And for those that are hurting tonight, those that are filled with longing, pray that you'd help them not to ignore it or stuff it deep down inside, but to take it, to bring it out and to place it at the feet of Jesus. God, we need your help for this. We ask that you'd give it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.